Hello, this is Bill Curley. And Holly Hudley. And welcome to the podcast In Between, which is an educational offering of St. Paul's United Methodist Church and Ordinary Life. Good morning. Good morning. So I wonder, I wonder, I say that, and I wonder for people who watch or who listen to this, driving home at six o'clock, if good morning doesn't sound a little bit out of time and space. I listen to you. How are you? I'm good. The the very first thing you say makes me think of, I listened to Padre Gotuma do a um, webinar on Emily Dickinson last night, and he framed it as Emily Dickinson and time how she plays with time all, all of the time, that we are, that time is only ever the present moment, and but she plays with past, present, and future. It was beautiful. So I'm just thinking that in our podcast by saying good morning, we're just playing with time. We're, we're calling on yeah. Emily Dickinson here. <laughs> Boy, there's a lot going on. There's a lot going on. I stopped on the way to the office today and filled up my car with gas. Mm. 80 bucks. Oh, I am so glad oh, to drive. An which electric doesn't car. affect you because now you have an electric car. I'm so jealous. I think my, everyone my should get one. My wife wants one. Huh? Get one. Everyone should get yeah. one. It's really, and I don't mean that in a shame based way. I mean it in like a preserve our future kind of way. And it'll save you 80 bucks a week. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't get 80 bucks a week, but um, I at least used a lot of gas last week. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I do not want to forget or overlook or not reference the fact that our world is on the verge of a war that could be yeah. a world war and maybe not be fought like the last world war, of, which is called World War II. But we are in a very precarious, dangerous place. My heart goes out for both the people of Russia and the people of Ukraine. I cannot imagine what those people are going through. It's just horrible beyond anything. Yeah. Um, I've been to Russia. and and uh prior to a trip that my beautiful bride engineered for us to go to germany we spent all a week almost a week in czech republic and then we spent two weeks in russia and um i as you know from our history together i love that art and architecture the gothic stuff the armenian stuff mm-hmm. the orthodox the greek the russian uh and it's, I, I see the sh- shots of the churches and things in Ukraine that have been demolished. The, it's just heartbreaking. And the children who are terrified, it's heartbreaking. Yeah, there's, there's so much that I, I was, so I was listening to NPR this morning, dropping my kiddo off to school. And we were both just kind of stunned into silence because they were reporting on um, some of the funerals of the fallen Ukrainians, um, you know, there's a demand that males who are able-bodied between the ages of 18 and 60 stay and fight. They can't leave. 
And so they were covering this funeral and it just, I was weeping and Caleb was just kind of, you know, it just, it's really hard to internalize. And then, um, you know, we hear reports of those who are in the Ukraine, but not native Ukrainians, Africans who are teaching there, who are students there being sent to the back of the line continually as they try to cross the border. Um, I've heard that some of Asian students, same experience. And so if there's this internal tension too that is happening within Ukraine um, to save and preserve native Ukrainians, but at whose expense, you know? So there's, there's a lot of layers. There's a lot of layers between the conflicts between Russia and Ukraine too, that there are within Ukraine, pro-Russia factions, mm -hmm. you know, and um, who are undermining the liberation of Ukraine. I mean, it's just like anything that humans get involved with, very complicated. <laughs> yep, and things will never, ever, ever be the same for Russia or Ukraine. Yeah. I've heard people say, I'm not an expert on this, that Mr. Putin has created his own Vietnam. Um, I, I just thought when you were saying what you were saying that Sherry also engineered a trip for us in our marriage. She's the one with the overactive travel <laughs> gene and I'm grateful for it. I yeah. really am grateful for it. She, she engineered for us an almost three week trip through the Balkans. Mm. And, um, after the fall of Yugoslavia and how the Serbians and others got in, Croatians got into these civil wars with each other. It's just, it, the country never recovers. The people yeah. don't recover. It's just so tragic. And that's a perfect segue for me into the fact that I am this Sunday beginning a new theme in ordinary life. Yeah. Tell us about and it. And the theme is, uh, and I'm still working on refining it, but the theme is basically how we can experience those values that you and I talk about by embracing places that scare us mm -hmm. and being in a scary time. And it's about things coming to an end and new things coming to be, which is the way the, the universe works, right? Yeah. There's death oh. and resurrection all the time continually yeah 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 yes that is the only reality is that there is constant you know they call uh you know the symbol of the ouroboros right the serpent eating yeah, yeah yeah which is the symbol of death and rebirth death and rebirth there's also this idea of the cosmic ouroboros um which is a bit like a spiral and we know that spiral universes are the only ones that sustain life but that that the cosmic Ouroboros also is that symbol of the universe continually changing, continually arising and falling away. So that's, that's to say, um, I struggle with knowing what's sort of at the heart of the universe, right? We know that the universe is expanding. We know that it is infinitely expansive or we think that it is infinitely expansive. We don't actually know, we surmise. But is there love at the heart of the universe? And I think in times when we are challenged, challenged to decide where we stand, challenged to take a stand, challenged with violence, whether it's in our front yard or across the ocean, 
that brings to mind, like, well, what is it that's at the heart of the universe? Is there love? Mm -hmm. What so say you? you <laughs> yeah, so you might well ask, well, Bill, what led you to this decision to make a change yeah. in the theme? Oh, is that and... my next line? Bill, what led you to make a decision? <laughs> I dare. Yeah. I dare. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't, I don't want to make, you know, all my teaching is always very personal, but um, since you and I last talked, I did the eulogy for a former senior pastor of St. Paul's, yeah. Wayne Day. And Wayne Day is the reason actually I am at St. Paul's. Mm. And uh, Wayne died and I got to do his eulogy, which was so much fun mm. to do. Um, I, did, I, I had a best friend who died 40 years ago of congestive heart failure. Um, Fred and I had lunch together every week for a long time and um, he died um, and I, we went to his service and the church where the service was was at Pack, there's standing room only he was such a beloved human being mm -hmm. and the guy who did his eulogy held Fred up in such a way as to make people in the congregation laugh first time I'd heard people laugh at a funeral mm. and I made a vow then although I was in private practice at the time that if I ever had an opportunity to do another funeral or memorial service I was going to craft it in such a way that people in the congregation would laugh yeah and so I've kept that commitment and either fortunately or unfortunately since then I've gotten to do a lot of funerals <laughs> and memorial services but Wayne Day um, came to St. Paul's when, and I, I have this on good authority now from at least three people, that if Wayne had not come to St. Paul's, there's a good possibility that St. Paul's would have shuttered its doors. Hmm, really? There were 12 people in the choir. Hmm. The average age of the congregation was 66. Yeah. Believable, for sure. <laughs> there were under 20 people in the worship service. Hmm. It was dying. What year did he come to St. Paul's? 82. 82. Okay. I started attending St. Paul's sometime around 87. So that was, yeah. yeah. So uh, Wayne and I had been in an advanced psychology training program together, actually. Wow. And he debated as this is back in the late 70s, and Wayne was debating then whether to go into private practice or stay in the ministry. I think it's very fortunate that he stayed in the ministry because clearly that's where his gifts were and his skill. Um, and I've since, in preparation for his service, have talked to a lot of people who reminded me what a gifted, skilled human being and risk taker. He was a risk taker. Um, it, it, and I don't want to spend a whole time talking about this, but one of the guys that he hired, Wayne managed to get a huge amount of money and just gave it to him to say, I want you to use this to help build St. Paul. Hmm. And um, I was doing a TV program at the time, saw Wayne in the paper that Wayne had 
moved to Houston. I gave the newspaper article to the woman who produced the TV show. She got him to come on the TV program. Wayne and I reconnected. I came to St. Paul, saw the sanctuary, fell in love with it. Sherry and I were looking for a church. We came here. Second Sunday, Wayne said, I want you to start teaching a Sunday school class. Six weeks after that, he said, I want you to start being in the worship services every Sunday. So that's my that's how I got plugged into St. Paul's mm -hmm. in the very beginning. And I watched this man build this church to the point where when he left, as you know, the church services were fairly packed. Very. The average age of the congregation was 37. Huh. He had done that. Yeah. He had done that. And and um so in the process of rethinking all this history about Wayne, about the church, about my involvement with the church, teaching, not teaching, starting again, I got in this awareness that, you know, he's dead. Yeah. Things die. Things die. I'm going to die. You are. We are. We're right. And things come back again things arise. Um, and and, and um, I don't want to dominate this podcast, but I, I will tell you, <laughs> I had this insight about something that I don't know if you agree with this or not, uh -huh. but I'm just going to put it out there for you. Okay. I think that it's time for a big shift in, in ordinary life. Mm. And, and the shift that I, one of the shifts that I'm thinking about is, I think we've been too narcissistic and too focused on the individual Ah, ooh, that's a whole principle I have about, about white theology and psychology. Yeah. So, you know, that after 9-11, mm -hmm. uh, which was a big turning point for me in my teaching, I started ending every class with, no matter where you go, no matter what happens this week, remember this, you carry precious cargo, so watch your step. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm thinking about changing that. <laughs> Oh, hold on, hold on. Okay. All right. Prepare us here. <laughs> Maybe one word at a time so that eventually we're just saying it. <laughs> I, I'm interested. I'm curious. You piqued my interest. <laughs> well, I've got, we, you and us, since we're going to collaborate and co-teaching, I, I got to get you in on this, but um when Wayne came to St. Paul's, he knew the church needed building. He knew he couldn't need it, do it by himself. He needed the help of people who were here. And right. so he challenged people to help him do that. And so he got the congregation trained so that at the end of every service, he said, our time together will soon be over. Where will we go and who will we be? And he had trained the congregation to say, we go out to be God's people in the world. Oh my God. I, I didn't remember the first part, but I just, as you were saying, it could mouth it with you. I want to start doing it. I want to start doing that for me a lot. What I do you think? Love, I think it's beautiful. I mean, that's our calling. And what does it mean to be God's people in the world? And in the and, change of evolutionary consciousness, we are in a massive shift in evolutionary consciousness. And the, and the focus needs to be on our responsibility in the world, not mm -hmm. just there, there, everything is going to be okay, which I believe it is. I mean, even though we die, 
but we need to take responsibility for getting the values we talk about out into the world. Yeah. And I think about, I think about what's happening in ordinary life. I think about what's happening at St. Paul's. I think about what's happening in our state. Thank God for Florida, because Florida's politicians act a little bit more <laughs> stupid than Texas politicians to deflect some things from us. Usually people say thank God for Alabama or Mississippi, but I think uh, I think Florida might be uh, up there right now. <laughs> right. Oh gosh. I think about what's going on in our country. You know, I had somebody say to me yesterday, mm -hmm. a mother uh, said to me in a counseling session, she said, you know, I was concerned about the future of democracy for our country. Now I'm concerned about the future of democracy for our world. Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's a really it's that's a really big statement because democracy has never been a world value. Um, it, it's always only existed in pockets. And as you know, part of the arrogance of America, which we could also say part of the sort of rugged independence of America is to say we are going to make democracy popular around the world. And, and, and we've tried like we've involved ourselves in nation building and democratic building um, in many places. Uh, for better or for worse. And then we see this period of like a kind of inter withdrawing from the world. And I think a lot of countries are withdrawing from international uh, cooperation and becoming more isolationist. There's a, there's, you know, Howard Zinn who wrote the People's History of the United States. You've probably heard of him. You might not be able to recall yeah. it right now, but he, he believes that these kinds of changes in consciousness, changes in participation, changes in government need to rise up from the ground up, not from the outside in. And I think that that, you know, I think of like, what is that ground swelling? What is it that will call people to the forefront of their own freedom? You know, we, we in America have an overvaluation of individual freedom. And it's what you just said, like we focus so much on individualism and narcissism, but there's actually this collectiveness. What does it mean to have collective freedom? And I think we have to first value individual freedom in order to really fully embrace collective freedom. Or maybe they go hand in hand, I don't know, but it's, but all this to say that like, yes, democracy around the world is being threatened, but it's never been established. Even our own democracy has never fully operated as a democracy of freedom and justice for all. Mm -hmm. You know, so, so I wonder, and this goes back to, I, I inserted a little thing while you were talking is like, we are in a shift of evolutionary consciousness we're right. in it. And so, you know, you're the theme of between the no longer and the not yet. That's exactly where we are. That's why we call Absolutely. this podcast in between, because we're talking between it. We're trying to say, how do we go out and be God's people in the world? And yes, I could totally hear my 13 year old self saying that in the congregation, as you said it, how do we go out and be God's people in the world? Better yet, how do we just go out and be people in the world? Right. Whether we prescribe it to a God or not, but what does it mean to be human? You know, I, ha I have the greatest respect for John Meacham, uh, mm -hmm. the history professor at Vanderbilt University who's written so much. And he, I've heard him talk about how after World War II, one of the things that um, 
and and he says even that Abraham Lincoln would have done something like this had he not assassinated. Lincoln, according to Meacham and the people who built the notion of how what had to happen after World War II with the Marshall Plan and various other things, they took into consideration that if those who were not defeated in battle did not experience some sense of self-worth, possibility, and participation in the future, nothing would change. And I think, you know, for good or ill, what happened in Western Europe after World War II was that there was a lot of things that led people to believe that we would never, ever again have in, at least in the West, in Western Europe or the United States, what's going on in, between Russia and Ukraine today. But of course that didn't, that didn't happen because you got an idiot in Russia who's doing what he's doing and uh, we'll never recover from that. But anyway, I have your support to make the change at yeah. the end. I love it. I mean, I, I think it is what draws us forth, what draws us forth into the world. Um, I was reading last night a chapter in Judy Canato's book, The Fields of Compassion. I've just kind of gone back to different pieces of it. Um, and she wrote about Jesus being there and his early followers being very much rooted in the world. So it's not a project of something else, of somewhere else. This was a project of how do we show up in the world? That's how right. I think we make love the heart of the universe. That's how, and maybe that's putting too much emphasis on the human. I think we're only one tiny subatomic particle in this whole experiment, but it is through our behavior and our interaction with everything and everyone around us that we create love at the heart of the universe. Absolutely. It's co-creative. It's not just a void waiting to be filled. It's co-creative. Hmm. Well, that is what's been going on with my thinking. Um, That's all. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I had occasion to remember this week, one of the first memories I have of Richard Rohr. Hmm. Um, is that he said that he prayed for one good humiliation a day. Oh, wow. Hmm. To get his own ego out of the way and hmm. to let him know that he's not the center of things. And I think that in our desire to hang on to or recreate the way things used to be is deadly. Yeah, it certainly doesn't lean us forward. And I, I, I had a friend and, and bear with me for a second. Um, she's still my friend, but we were sitting down to coffee the other day. So this is a little bit of imagining an illustration. You know, there's a saying that the arc of time is long, but it bends towards justice, right? So that indicates a single line bending towards something, right? But we were having this conversation that maybe it's more like a tightly wound spiral. And so as you go forward on the spiral, there's an inevitable pullback to the back of the spiral. You go forward on the spiral again, and then you pull back. And then you're in this kind of overlapping space between something that was and something that's becoming. You go forward on the spiral, but every time you go forward on the spiral, there's this tension of the pullback, right? 
And I think we're probably in a pullback right now. We're leaning really hard on some things that are small, small self-oriented, um, identity-based, individualistic, separatist, mm -hmm. right? And I want to hope that that leans into greater expansion, greater freedom, greater liberation, right? But it mm -hmm. is, we're in a pullback and that spiral. And I really liked the way that she said that maybe it's more of a tightly wound spiral, not a single arc that goes in one direction. And the spiral, again, the spiral is where life is. Mm -hmm. The spiral is the only shape that we know of that supports life. It's our mm -hmm. DNA, it's our galaxy, right? You know, that reminds me of the way that Cyprian Smith talks about how to understand Meister Eckhart or how to do spiritual work. Mm -hmm. Some people think that, you know, spiritual work is trying to ascend the mountain and that that symbol is in, uh, as far as I know, every mythology, in the mythology of every religion that I've encountered. I may go back and double check myself on that after we're done here, but uh, Cyprian Smith said that you can try to assault the mountain and go straight up, but the best way is to go around and around and around. Mm -hmm. And you notice okay. as you ascend a mountain that sometimes you have periods of going back down to go back up. Mm. You know, when you think you're on the downhill, all of a sudden you have this great ascent. <laughs> that burns your legs do you, yeah do, do you know the finger in the sky exercise that a lot of trainers do have you ever seen that the finger in the sky exercise mm -hmm. no you take your finger and you point it up and you move it in a clock and is it you just start moving it in an anti-clockwise direction yes looking up and then Keeping your finger moving in that direction, you bring it down mm -hmm. and now it's changed, although it hasn't. It's right. a great exercise. It is. And yeah, now that you describe it, I I, ha I do know it. And it, it is, th those kinds of things are fascinating, right? They're mind bending, <laughs> even mm -hmm. though they're totally normal and happening right in front of us. But mm -hmm. yeah, I think that this is, um, you know, we talked a little bit about the, about black holes last week, right? And how we know they exist. And the reason we know they, or we think that they exist is because of what happens to matter around them, around that energy field. And I likened it to a, to a period of being stretched. And once you're in the black hole, there's no going back. It's not like you can just dip your toe in the water like a pool and then pull back. You have to, you're in, you're in it. And I think no matter what, that's where we are. We're in it. We're in a period of stretch. Yep. Well, yoga is so a good practice for that. Introduction, introduction of a new thing. And by the way, yeah, I want to be clear. I'm not in this abandoning the Gospel of John. As a matter of fact, we may go back and revisit some verses because they have been so abused by mm -hmm. the church. I'm just, I'm doing a lot of firing shots across the bow of the ship today, just to say some changes are coming. <laughs> All right. 
change is gonna come whether you want it to or not yeah yeah that's um it's a beautiful song did you watch that film about oh my gosh i'm gonna forget what it's called it's it's was a conversation between malcolm x uh cassius clay muhammad ali and singer songwriter who wrote a change is gonna come whose name is escaping me right now did you i have not seen that movie but i've got it on my watch list have you seen it Mm -hmm. it's excellent okay yeah what i did do and this is on the kind of lighter but more profound side um the one of the sources i get for things to watch on tv that don't watch a lot and um i got um notification about watching a, an animated film on Netflix called Robin Robin. Have you seen it? I've heard of it. I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> Watch it. Yeah. Okay. Watch it. Okay. And then d- d- don't, don't while you're watching it say, ah, this is bad. I want to do it. Watch <laughs> it all the way to the end. And then just let it sit with you for a couple of days. Okay. Robin Robin is about a Robin that is adopted by a family of mice. <laughs> little uh, robin egg falls out of the nest and goes uh-huh. down into a mouse den uh-huh. and it hatches uh-huh. and the little mice that in the family that there's a daddy mouse a little baby mice and one of the baby mice says oh daddy can we keep it and the other one said can we eat it <laughs> <laughs> and it's what? about their life together and mm-hmm. robin robin finding robin's identity mm-hmm. and not leaving the family that is mm-hmm. the, the goal of it's a very wonderful terrible yeah. and it's not long it's about a half an hour well I'll, i will watch it and i'm so curious like by finding identity without leaving the family is the journey necessary? Is the individual sort of hero's journey necessary? I think if we had communities of belonging and remembering that would just hold space for that individual to become, I don't think we would need this isolated hero's journey. Well, the journey is necessary. And I cannot remember the poet where this line is found. We return home discovering it again for the first time. Yeah. 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 And and that's I what I think. Remember that. Yeah, write that down. That's what I think the community of belonging does is welcomes us back. You know, so often we the hero's journey is billed as this kind of the hero goes off by himself and becomes. But actually the whole time the hero is being held. That's my ideal of a of a beloved community that the hero mm-hmm that whoever the hero is, it's each one of us, each and every one of us is being held and then pulled back into belonging. I must go. All righty. Well, this has been fun and exciting. And uh, my, my problem is um, I had so many, much, I still do, going on in my brain about how I want to formulate and put forward this shift uh, to a new theme that I'm having trouble getting it all organized, but I'll squish it in there somehow. You know, you know what an artist does is they do a they do a primary sketch and a base layer for the drawing. That's all you need. Yeah. Right. All right. I'll see you. <laughs>
Bye. Bye.